This morning for our sermon, our text is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 to 20. This morning, we'll be addressing uh, a topic that I would have to first confess that we probably have not addressed enough. Many have observed that while the world is always talking about sex and thinks the church is talking about sex, the church is not talking about sexuality. And so this morning... um, This is something we as elders decided uh, a while ago to address, and so we're not addressing any uh, particular people or situations, but just really addressing us all to consider our bodies and to consider the way we use them. We live, uh, as many of us know, in a sex-focused, sex-crazed, and sex-saturated world. And we are affected, and we are compromised in many ways because of this reality. In in looking at this subject and at this text, I pray that we, we can take a view from God's Word that will reshape our convictions, that will strengthen our understanding of God, strengthen our understanding of ourselves, and strengthen our resolve to live in sexual purity. The Apostle Paul makes a number of complex arguments, and I'm hoping we can sort through those and seek to know God's plan for us and for our bodies. Again, our text is 1 Corinthians 6, and I'll begin at verse 12. This is the word of the Lord. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord, and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never! Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your temple, that your body, is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. This is the word of the Lord.
The history of the city of Corinth is well known as a crossroads city that was a port that was overrun with sexual immorality. Its pagan roots and its celebration used sexual practice in temples as a means of appeasing the gods and to gain their favor. And so the Apostle Paul is writing into a culture not much different than our own. New Christians in in this city were particularly tempted to continue in these sinful patterns. And their primary reasoning was that sexuality is a natural part of the body, and so indulgence and fulfillment should be sought after. They bought into the lie that the spirit and the body are separate realities, and neither say anything to the other. Again, our world is not much different. While we don't have uh, pagan temples on high hills, uh, we have replaced those pagan gods with the gods of self-rule and self-fulfillment. Whatever makes me happy, expands my horizons, makes me feel alive. And whatever makes me feel alive and fulfills me must be okay. My desires, my needs, my identity is to be respected and followed because that's the way I am. We often hear the phrase, I was, I was born this way. In fact, some would go as far to say as that they were created this way. And being God created us this way with these desires, with these means of joy and pleasure that God intended us to have freedom and openness. And so, as it was in Corinth and in all of humanity throughout history, in this sexual struggle, we fight the struggle of disordered loves. We don't have to stop with sexual temptation. We seek in many ways to fulfill our body's desires. And the slogan among the Corinthian people was food for the body and the body for food. And how much is that not our cry? Let's consider our own country. We are primarily a nature, a nation of consumers. We consume food, fashion, gadgetry, and junk at an alarming rate. Our economy is founded on the hope that you will buy more stuff this year than you did last year. Our economic stability is built on the reality that you and I will buy, consume, and trash many things in the coming year. The modern American dream is to get enough money to buy all the things we think will make us happy and satisfied. The latest thing will most certainly bring us happiness, at least until iPhone 11 and the Note 10 comes out next year. And then what we have won't be good enough and we'll have to have something new. And so, while the Apostle Paul is making the arguments that we're going to consider about sexuality, they really apply to what we think about our bodies, what we think about our desires, 
and how they are fulfilled. Our sexuality functions well as an illustration here because it is one of the most powerful desires and impulses that we face in our bodies. But this truth and and how we understand sexuality applies to really all areas of desire and consumption. If I'm going to reduce this down to one phrase, I would say that God designed and purchased our body to be His earthly dwelling place. God designed and purchased our bodies to be His earthly dwelling place. Sexual sinfulness uniquely diverts the body from that purpose and makes a mockery of the gospel. And so the first argument that the Apostle Paul gives us states the ownership of the body and considers the ownership of the body. Our first mistake in following our desires is that we claim ownership of our body and we deny God as the rightful owner and creator. The slogan of our day is, my body, my choice, or you don't get to tell me to do with my bo- what to do with my body. The rules of sexuality in our day, one of the primary rules is that no one gets to judge another's choices. What's right for you is right for you. What's right for me is right for me. And you don't have any right to tell me that mine is right or wrong. But that's not much different than the food for the body and the body for food slogan that the Corinthians used. Sex for the body and the body for sex. It was a slogan that supports indulgence. If God created me this way, then I have liberty and freedom to find fulfillment in it however I wish. What's really at play here, though, is a separation of body and spirit. It's the old Gnostic argument that we see, that somehow our interaction with God is purely spiritual, and our interaction in the earth is purely physical, and the two really don't interact very much. But the Apostle Paul says something different. He's not willing to say that the food that the body is for food and food for the body, or that sex is for the body and the body for sex. He says that they're made for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Our bodies are not to be separated from our spirits. Our bodies have an intended purpose. And we will find our ultimate fulfillment when we live in them according to the design that God gave them. Now, when we get to this point, we often start to say, okay, now here come the rules. We have this idea of looking at God's law as uh, as an arbitrary set of rules that God gave us because he decided so. I think that misunderstands what God is intending to do in the law. In the law, he's intending to tell us 
This is how I created you. This is how you were meant to function. I have a recurring problem up here at the crossroad at Cook Creek Presbyterian. Uh, When I come up to the crossroads, I'm always going to turn left. And the rules of the road are, right? Who has the right-of-way? If you're going straight, you always have the right-of-way. If you're turning right, you have the right-of-way. The last person on the toting pole is the guy turning left. But invariably, every other morning, I pull up to crossroads. There's somebody else at the crossroads. They're going straight, and they're going... And I'm like, no, (laughs) that's not the way the rules are meant to be. But what the other person doesn't realize in their kindness they are doing, they are now making my left turn significantly more complex. Because now I have to go, okay, I have to look there, I have to look there, I have to look there, I have to look at you. Are you still saying me go? The rules protect us. The rules show us how things were intended to be. And so, when God gives us rules about the way our bodies were intended to be, He's not intending to cage us. He's intending to grant us freedom. He's not intending to limit our fulfillment, but He's intending to show us the way of greater fulfillment. Within this idea, in verse, in verse 12 particularly, we see the rules of living as we are intended. As God's children, we are to consider more than our desires in our Christian liberty. And he gives us two governing rules. Is it helpful? Or is it addictive? Does our freedom bring about growth and prosperity and helpfulness? Or does it harm us and hold us back? Does it allow us to be free in Christ? Or does it enslave us to a desire or an activity that robs us of true joy in Christ? Does our freedom bring helpfulness and suitability? Or does it bring domination? I think, again, it's good for us to consider this, particularly the idea of domination, at the far reaches. Okay, so... We don't really ever see ourselves as being fully dominated by our brokenness. But we can see people, we can see individuals who have completely been overwhelmed and dominated by something that ruins their life. I personally go to um, the practice of smoking. Now, I'm sure that a person could enjoy tobacco in such a way that it glorifies God and not have it dominate them, okay? That's a dangerous statement, I realize, okay? 
I think that's possible. But we also see the very far end where you see the individual who's smoking three packs of cigarettes has that smell that imperviates every part of their being. Now, is their practice helpful? Does it help their life? I mean, is, is, is the smoker's hack, is that something that really makes your life worth living? What about the surroundings? Like, I mean, I've been around people that, I mean, I, I just couldn't stay close to them. What dominated them actually changed their person, actually changed who they are. And so, in all areas of our physical bodies, we are granted freedom, but not to dominance, not to submit ourselves to another master, the master of ourself. The language of Romans 1, I think, is instructive here. We trade the image of the Creator for my own image. We trade the law, the intent of the Creator, for our own desires. And we pursue our being and our value in them. And the downward spiral begins. We trade the glory of the Creator for the brokenness of ourselves. The second argument he he makes regards the unique effect of sexual sinfulness on our body and its incompatibility with union with Christ. It is, as verse 18 states, a sin against one's own body. In this, I think we see two effects. If sexual promiscuity in the body were separated from the spiritual reality, then it would have no effect on our union with Christ. And that's primarily the argument that my body is, really has nothing to do with the spiritual realities. But as we consider the Apostle Paul's rejection of that separated body and spirit, it's incompatible for Christ to be a resident within us, and we allow our sexual desires to dominate us. This would take the indwelling nature of Christ and make him a partaker in sin. And verses, verse 9 is clear that this cannot be the case. Uh, verse 9, earlier in the chapter, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Well, as we know, if we are in Christ, then we are those who inherit the kingdom of God. If we allow sexual brokenness to dominate us, we can no longer be in Christ, and no longer being in Christ means we can no longer enter the kingdom of heaven. the sexual immoral will be separated from Christ. And so the harshest warning here is that you can have sexual freedom or you can have Christ, but they can't both live in the same body. Secondly, sexual brokenness is a sin against one's own body. The Apostle Paul uses this language of inside the body, and outside the body. 
And so he says, all other sins come from without the body. And I think this is a, it's a, it's a fairly complex argument, but I'll attempt to put it this way. Sins that are outside the body are sinful in their effect and not in their act. Okay, so they're sinful because of their effect. And so, for instance, the, the act of driving a car at a high rate of speed is not in and of itself sinful. There are places that you can do that. But it's the effect of driving too fast that force governments to make laws. Okay, the firing of a firearm, the act of doing so is not a sinful act. But to use that to affect harm on another person is when it becomes sinful. So the act is sinful because of its effect. But Paul is making the case here that sexual sin is sinful in act and not merely in effect. There is no way to commit a sexual act outside of God's design that is not sinful, no matter the effect. The effect may be viewed by our world as good and right. But if it's done outside of God's design, then the act itself is the sinful part of it. This is because sexual sin makes one's body the instrument of sin. It damages his personality and ruins his body's function of fulfilling God's design for it. Sexual sin denies, and this is why the act itself is the sinful part. It denies that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The use of the language of temple here is pretty interesting, considering that the practice in Corinth was for temple prostitution. What was used to somehow pursue the good of the gods is now used to behold God himself within. The idea of temple is one I think we should consider a bit. If you think about a temple, even a pagan temple, or you think of the stories of the temple in the Old Testament, the temple existed for, I think, three main things. One, to maintain the presence of God. Two, to present images that show of his glory. And three, to be the place where humanity interacts with God. So it's the presence, it's the images and story, and it's the interaction place with God. The Apostle Paul is making the argument here that that now no longer is this building. That now no longer is a place you go to to find God but it is the temple of your body. It's the place where God resides by His Spirit. 
It's the place where his spirit working out his character within us displays to the world the glory of God. It is the place we meet God. You don't need to come talk to me to meet God. You don't need to gather with other people to meet God. You don't need, you meet God within, in truthfulness and rightfulness. And so the reason the act of sexual brokenness brings about a sin against the body is that it defaces the temple of God. It's akin to, in the Old Testament, taking a child into the Holy of Holies and sacrificing them. It is co-opting the purpose of the space and using it for myself. And it says, no, you're not Lord, I am. And this is all about me. Again, in thinking of what Romans 1 has to say to us uh, that was read earlier. There is a particular downward spiral that happens with all sin, but I think particularly with sexual sin. And the warning for all of us is that if we begin to desecrate the temple, that there does come a time that God abandons us. And he says, okay, you want the God of your desires? You can have him. And so I plead with all of us, don't desecrate the temple. Reckon yourself with your desires and recognize that if you allow them to become your temple, that it will ultimately destroy you. And so to all of us, I I don't think I can plead hard enough. But Paul doesn't end there. Because how are we going to do this? How are we going to interact in such a way with our sexuality that our temple can remain pure and clean? And as he often does, the Apostle Paul returns to the gospel. We see it in several places. So maybe you're here this morning and... You have desecrated the walls of your temple. And maybe I should say there's a good chance every single one of us here have in one way or another. We're all in the battle for sexual purity. We're all in the battle of protecting the temple of God that is within us. The answer and the call is not white-knuckled, self-willed action. The answer is Jesus. And the Apostle Paul turns to him. We see him in verse 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. 
For you were bought with a price. What is the drive for maintaining the temple? That Christ himself has come and purchased us with his blood. If we back up to verse 11, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. We also see in verse 14, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. And so, as you consider the brokenness in your own life, as we each face that frailty, may our first turning be to Christ, to redeem, to rescue. May our second call be to each other. Somehow within our fellowship, we must break down the barriers of these conversations and be okay that if the odds are right, 50 to 60% of us struggle incredibly regularly with these broken realities. And to battle together, not as one who is better than another, but one who walks along and cares and loves. John Stone Street gives us four places of battle that I think we do between us and God and that we do with each other. And it's the four L's, our loves, our loyalties, our longings, and our liturgies. What is in the temple of our heart is ultimately a declaration of our love. If we love ourselves, we will seek to pursue our own fulfillment. If our love is towards God, we will allow his character to inform us. Again, our loyalties, if our loyalty is to our own sovereignty, then that will come forth. If our loyalty is under the righteous hand of God, then that will change us. We also ask Christ to change our longings. All of us battle with the longing to belong, to be fulfilled in a human way. And so we beg of God to give us holy longings, longing to be righteous, longing to be in his presence. But most of this battle is fought at the battle of our liturgies. Now, Liturgies is probably a, a bit high and mighty sounding word for a particular sort of um, worship service. But a liturgy really is just the pattern of your life. How do you live every day? What are the things you let feed your desires? What are the things you let shape your loves? What are the things that you let call to your loyalties, develop your longings? 
if we don't change at the level of liturgies, it's quite uncertain that we'll change at the level of the other three. And so let's walk together and encourage each other to change our liturgies, to develop our longings and our loyalties and our loves. It's only in a heart that values the presence of God in the temple within that will ultimately reject both sexual immorality, but also any other desire of the body that attempts to be unhelpful and to dominate us. I'm sure among us, there are uh, some of you who are currently struggling. And I invite you, reach out to a friend. I think more than likely they care. Reach out to one of us elders. We must talk to each other and interact with each other along this path. It, It is not when we walk alone. Let us remember that it is of utmost importance that the temple of the Holy Spirit is present within you. And sexual immorality stains that temple and chases God out of it. So let's place our desires and our energies at the feet of the cross and have him reshape them into the image that he created them to be. Shall we pray? Father, this morning we recognize that we are often a broken people. That the hardest of our battles is to face face the desires and the longings that each of us have. Father, I pray that you would grant us your presence and your spirit and your truth to confront the idols of our hearts, the idols that place fulfillment, freedom, pleasure in things that will never provide them for eternity. Father, as we interact with your word, As we speak with you daily, may we gain an image and a picture of your greatness. And Father, particularly in the area of our sexuality, would you protect us? Would you rescue us? Help us to undo to seek to undo, to seek to allow you to undo uh, the desecration in each of our hearts that limits our presence with you. May we be returned into right relationship, to wholeness. That what is physical within us and what is spiritual within us can be unified and one. 
Father, I pray for those among us who are struggling. I pray that you would give them the boldness to interact with a friend, to reach out to an elder, to begin the hard work of rooting out the idols of desire and of self-fulfillment that have held them bondage. Father, may we be a community that puts our arm around each other's shoulders and, and walks purposefully towards righteousness. Do this among us for the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen. Let's have a song.